It's time for episode 302 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM. Recorded Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. Clockwise. Four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast with no time to spare. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet and across half of the country by my co-host, Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Micah. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. I'm freshly back in Missouri uh, from California. Somehow it's hotter and thousand times more humid here than it was in California. So I'm just trying not to be very sad about that fact. Well, all right. We'll, we'll sweat through this one together because it's pretty warm here today, too. Oh, good. So I'm not, I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And guess what? We are not alone in this show. We get to talk about our awesome guests. And to my left, it is the host of Tech News Weekly, as well as All About Android over on the Twit Network. It is my upcoming colleague, Jason Howell. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? And as I look out the window, it is, uh, at least, you know, in your upcoming new home, it is, uh, very overcast, kind of a little chill on the chilly side. Uh, this is very standard I want. in the mornings here in Petaluma. You'll get used to it. I can't wait. Chill in the air. <laughs> and to my left, it is a designer and co-creator of apps, including Capsicum and my personal favorite, When Did I, which tells me when I last changed the seltzer canister on my soda stream it's heidi helen polipas hi heidi welcome back hi uh i'm excited to be here uh it's a cold australian night where i am wow i've got a blanket over me while i'm recording (laughs) really spanning the world and the weather here i love it i love it uh now let's span the tech news that's going on by getting this show started with just 30 minutes i'm gonna kick things off I'm bringing up AR again. Apple's FaceTime has a new feature uh, that's being tested in the beta. Um, I will see if it comes to the actual thing, but it's called attention correction. And essentially what it does is it ARs your face so that when you are making a FaceTime call and you are, you know, you're going to look down at the screen, either at the person across from you that you're FaceTiming with, or let's be real at yourself to see how you look as you are FaceTiming. FaceTiming. And so your eyes aren't on the camera. This feature takes your eyes, grabs them uh, digitally, not physically, and scoots them up so that they are always looking into the camera, looking you, person on the other end of the call, dead in the face. My question is, do you think AR's future lies in these sort of subtle effects, these slight changes that make a difference for daily conversation? Or do you think it's about the huge experiences, the playing Minecraft on a, on a kitchen table type experiences? Jason, we'll start with you. Uh, first of all, this, this creeps me out a little bit. Um, I think, I think what worries me about this a little bit is, is we, as we venture further and further into this world of not being able to trust what we see, it makes things a lot more confusing. Not that we have to know that the person on the other side of the call is looking down at their screen or at me, but it just, it removes that layer of trust that we have that what we see is, is to be believed. But I think to answer the question, um, looking down the line, I feel like AR in these little bits and pieces 
pieces is interesting, but I think they kind of lose their luster. We've seen a lot of AR things that come out and initially they come out with a bang. It's like, wow, it's really cool that you can do that. And then five minutes later after playing with it, you kind of forget that it even exists and you move on with your life. I think where AR really comes into its own is down the line when it's in, integrated into, let's say, like a, a car dis, a dashboard. So to give you contextual information about the world that surrounds you, things that don't get in the way, but provide actual kind of information about things, kind of what we think of the future, or what I thought of the future anyways, um, you know, over the years in a science fiction sort of way. That's where I think AR is headed. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I think this is an extremely interesting feature, and I, I will say certain things that Apple did right. For one thing, you know, it's an option. It's a thing that can be turned on and off. I can imagine a lot of uh, providers of video who might just, like, turn it on and never tell anybody that this was a thing they were doing. Um, it's a little strange, and I agree with Jason's point about the um, – the, our trust of images and video is uh, increasing, and it is definitely – eerie to have stuff and and not be able to trust what you are seeing in video you know we've obviously experienced that with like things like photos for a long time uh you could get into a whole semantic argument about like what is actually being captured what is real but i'm not going to go there that's a little too big for this uh to get to micah's point i i also agree with jason's point on that that the um the big flashy stuff it demos well but it's not anything that seems to have a lot of lasting staying power. I think that's in part because we're still in search of the hardware uh, that's going to be the killer app for this. I don't think anybody likes to stand there with their phone up, peering at it. It always feels like looking through a window rather than being sort of immersed in an, in an augmented reality. Uh, and so I think that if there are smaller applications that can be useful, and I think this is one of the more harmless tweaks that you could be making, um, but I, this kind of stuff I think is more interesting interesting because it's the unforeseen stuff and it's a a smaller stuff that has a disproportionate impact in the way we live our lives. Heidi, what about you? I think subtle AR effects have a great future. When you're talking on FaceTime, you don't necessarily want to look fake um, like a Snapchat filter, but subtle realistic tweaks are good to correct technology issues. Um. I think it's more natural to look at the screen of the person you're talking to than to look at the camera. Um, I am guilty of looking at myself a lot when I'm talking (laughs) on FaceTime. Yeah, so um, I don't know if I would want it to correct that or not personally. Like it it makes for a funny conversation sometimes. Like, are you looking at yourself again? But yeah. Uh, All interesting answers on that. I have to agree, Heidi, the... My favorite thing, because I, I pretty much the only person who gets a pass when it comes to FaceTiming me is my partner because I hate talking on the phone and I hate FaceTiming even more than I hate talking on the phone. And so I get to tease him about looking at himself instead of having a conversation with me. Um, so I do like that. But my bigger problem right now is that there's something very unsettling, weird, and kind of gross about this feature specifically. Um, when this was before Apple announced that it was a feature and didn't have a toggle for it, I guess they were testing it in FaceTime. And I was FaceTiming with Luke and 
the, I could just, there was something wrong about my eyes. My eyes looked dead. They looked weird. They looked like they had horrible wrinkles underneath and they looked like they weren't moving properly. And I had just gotten over, like I just recovered from having Bell's palsy. And so I was kind of freaking out a little bit because I thought that it was kind of coming back and that I was having paral- uh, paralyzation on that side of my face. And so I'm like looking at my mom and talking to her, mom, is there something wrong with my eyes? What's going on? And we're looking back at the screen and they look different than they actually look in real life. So it was a little bit frightening because it was subtle enough to where it didn't look like a Snapchat filter that was clearly doing something to my face, but it was still enough of a, of a thing that I was able to see it. So I think that there is a future in both uh, subtle effects and huge experiences. I just hope that we are wise about notifying people and being aware of when those changes happen so that it's not sort of the chances for deep fakes and things like that. Uh, Thank you all for your answers on that. Let's go to our next topic, which comes from Jason. All right. So um, I, I, I looked back on my childhood and I thought to myself, there, I had a lot of visions or views of what the future would be like. And uh, hey, what do you know? We're in the future, at least compared to when I was a kid. Um, so I thought the, a good question would be name something that you thought for sure you would see someday in the future, something technology or sci- you know, science fiction or something along those lines. If it's already happened, how's it going? And if it hasn't, do you still think it has a chance and why? The future is now. Um, I, I always cast my mind back to one of my favorite commercials of all time, which was from the year 2000. It was an IBM commercial. And it's Avery Brooks from Deep Space Nine talking about flying cars. Uh, it's the year 2000. Where are my flying cars? And I still feel that way now. Uh, so it's a tie between that for me and uh, hoverboards from like Back to the Future 2. <laughs> Come on, we were supposed to have those like four years ago. Uh, totally. Where are they? I thought we, I, there was a whole urban legend when I was a kid about like they had them, but they were too dangerous. Anyway, I mean, you know, we certainly have our share of scooters and there are those like faux hoverboard things, the, you know, little wheeled Segway stuff that people rip around in. But I, I do think the transportation is, it's gone in a very different direction than I think anybody anticipated when I was looking at the science fiction of my youth, certainly. You know, we all thought we'd have little pods flying around by now, and, and more or less things are kind of the same as they were when I was a kid, albeit, you know, sometimes at least electric cars aren't just a total joke now. But yeah, I do feel like I'm sad that some of our uh, ability to have personal flying vehicles has never really developed to the point that I would like. My perception's quite similar to yours, Dan. When I was a kid, uh, movies presented the future to be flying cars, robots, and silver metallic fashion. Uh, I didn't look at it and think this will for sure happen. Um, When it came to flying cars, I actually thought it would be quite quite impractical to organize the air traffic (laughs) like how are they going to control that um i also heard about electric cars when i was young and i was told that the oil interest the oil industry blocked it from happening and i'm glad that some people were able to um push through that and i think that electric cars will be much better for the environment so i remember watching the Jetsons and being so excited about food pills. 
I I have a compli- it's, not, it's not even a complicated relationship with food. I have a very blasé relationship with food. Um, for the most part, it brings me like s- food doesn't bring me a whole lot of joy. It's just sort of a means to an end for me. And so I most days just use my instant pot to make beans and rice and just kind of change up the spices a little bit. And that is what I eat as my energy source because I don't really need that variation because I don't care about having variation. I just want something that fuels me so I can get on to doing other things that I want to do other than having to keep this body running. Um, and so seeing food pills on the Jetsons, that is still my dream. To be able to just swallow that food pill and move on about my day sounds so incredible. Um, and right now, you know, the closest we've come are different weird powdered drinks and bars and things like that. And they are, you know, they're getting there, but they're not the true food pill future that I desire. So I hope one day we figure out how to like micro pack nutrients or something so you can get a full breakfast meal. Uh, worth of nutrients in a tiny little bar. And then the rest can just sort of be an expanding fiber that will make your stomach feel like it's full. So fingers crossed that that happens before I die, because I think that'd be super, super cool to have. And I mean, die at an old age. I don't mean die because I'm not eating, <laughs> to be clear here. Yeah, uh, be careful on that one. <laughs> Jason, any last thoughts on this uh, topic? Well, I, you know, when I was a kid, I have very vivid memories of riding around in my mom's car and listening to cassettes and the cassette player and thinking and even philosophizing with my mom how in the future all of the world's music would be accessible and you wouldn't need to deal with these little cassettes that had just a couple of songs on it. Wouldn't it be cool if we had something in our dash that could literally play any song that existed? And I feel like to a certain degree we're there now, right? Like maybe not every single thing exists there, but for all intents and purposes, way more than I, than, you know, anyone could possibly have imagined. There's a lot of obscure stuff out there. Do I think that it's been good for music? I think it's disrupted things. Obviously not a bad thing. Uh, it hasn't necessarily helped musicians get paid fairly. It's made, in my opinion, shopping for music less enjoyable, less of like an experience. Like I loved going to the record store and coming out with that choice album. And now because everything is so available so easily, it just kind of removes some of the magic. Magic. Um, even though it's amazing that we can do it, I don't know that it's necessarily improved on the enjoyment, on my enjoyment of music. It's almost made me appreciate music a little bit less, and that saddens me. So my childhood dream of what the future would be in music accessibility has come true. I just don't know that it's improved things uh, it, to a certain degree. Uh, you could have been rich if only you just jumped on that when you were a kid. Oh. You were ahead of the curve. <laughs> All right, folks, we have reached halftime of this episode of Clockwise, and that means I get to tell you about our pals at Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and node location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers, and they're all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever have any problems, they make it super simple to get in touch because you can drop them an email, you can call them, you can chat over IRC if you want to, right in the Linode community, if that's what you'd like. Whatever suits you best, they're there to help. And if you're a person who, you know, wants to do it yourself, well, you can check out the super useful guides and support documentation to quickly look at things and get something set up. 
Their new management panel is now in beta at cloud.linode.com. This new management console is a single-page application built using the cutting-edge React.js stack and is backed entirely by Linode's public API. And guess what? It's open source. Plus, they've got two-factor authentication to keep you and all your data safe and secure. If you want to check out Linode, well, there are pricing options to suit everyone. Plans started a gig of RAM for just five bucks a month, and they've got high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. Linode has a special offer just for you as a listener of our show. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code clockwise2019. That's going to get you $20 towards any Linode plan. On the gig of RAM plan, let's do the math there, uh, four free months. And with the seven day money back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise with the promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And let's move on to Dan's topic. All right. Nintendo has released a smaller, cheaper, and more portable focused version of the Switch. It's very popular console. My question is, does this seem something like something that will appeal to people, or does it lose some of the aspects of what made this Switch so popular, such as the ability to dock it and play it on your TV, uh, some of the Joy-Con uh, features? It's it's a cheaper version, but it doesn't have all the features. Heidi, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't really know much about the Switch. I haven't traditionally been someone into gaming, but I'm going to guess, though, that consumers will like having more choice, including a cheaper price point. I think I saw somebody tweet something along the lines of, this is just Nintendo printing money at this point or something like that. And that's the Switch has been super popular. And so if you can have essentially multiple Switches in a household or for folks who maybe didn't want to do the huge investment, not huge, but bigger investment with the full Switch experience, then there's this option. I honestly, I'm not a gamer either like Heidi and, but I love Animal Crossing so much. And it's a game that brings me peace and joy. And so the idea of being able to play some of those games on a console that's, I don't have to sort of buy into at a huge price, then that's where this makes sense to me. I also think that it's a good present gift, what have you, a good get for uh, maybe younger kids who you don't want to have to risk ruining a, a full-size Switch with. And so, yeah, I just think this is a really brilliant idea that we've got one more option for folks to purchase a Nintendo Switch, one of the very popular consoles from Nintendo. So good good business and marketing moves, in my opinion, uh, on Nintendo's part. Jason, what are your thoughts? Uh, the person who said that Nintendo is printing money, and they should, because this Nintendo Switch is an amazing console, right? So more options means more people have the ability to get into it. And this isn't very unprecedented either. There's the fact that all the consoles that we've seen, the last generation consoles, end up coming out with another console later on that either slims down the size or reduces some features or whatever. All that does is give people the ability to buy into the platform and the ecosystem if maybe there was some reason 
that was holding them back before. And often that's price. And with that, you know, comes some sort of trimming of capabilities. The, the beauty is that the Nintendo Switch has an amazing library of games and this thing still plays them, uh, as long as it supports handheld mode. And I, I did read in there that it also supports external controllers. Um, if you need to, to plug into it with, you know, something that isn't a Joy-Con or I, who knows, maybe the Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons that you already have will work into this. I'm not sure, but, um, it's flexible, I think, enough. And Nintendo has also proven in the past with its portables that its portable game is really good as well. So this just kind of gives people more option, t- kind of tying on, uh, with what both Micah and, and Heidi have said. Uh, that can't be a bad thing. And, uh, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think it's probably sacrilegious of me to even suggest that Nintendo <laughs> Nintendo's not making a smart move here. I, I agree with most of your sentiments. Um, I think the um, Nintendo has a long history in the portable market, and I imagine... I'm kind of curious to know. I, I assume they looked at the numbers and, and sort of were like, well, I, we can sort of suss out from you know, whatever focus groups or whatever we've done to see that people use these more portably or that's like a more desired use case. Um, I certainly love that the Switch goes back and forth between the the console and the handheld setup. Uh, I think that's a huge plus, but I can easily see why some people would opt for a portable-only version. Um, I think Jason hit the nail on the head when he pointed out the game library. That is the thing that it, that draws people on on game consoles. It's games. Nothing else really matters, right? Like, you know, you can you can have uh, a great console, but if it has a terrible library of games, people aren't going to buy into it. Uh, and Nintendo certainly has the best first party stuff around, uh, and they certainly have a lot of other options in there too. So I, I think Nintendo has long been accused of printing money. The the uh, the DS console is still going strong, amazingly. Uh, and they, I think they have no plans to, to stop making that either. So this seems like just another thing in the arsenal uh, and uh, at another variety of pi- price points that makes it more attractive to consumers. So thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our last topic today, which comes from Heidi. Cool. Um, I saw this week that Apple is discontinuing the 12-inch MacBook, which happens to be my personal computer. I own an early 2015 model in gold, which I absolutely love. Um It was my first Mac that I've ever owned, but it got me thinking about my very first Apple product I ever owned as well. And I was curious, um, what's the first Apple product you've ever owned and what did you think of it? Um, I'm assuming you've all owned an Apple product, but if not, surprise me. Yeah, so I, I, my first Apple product was a beautiful green, uh, anodized aluminum green iPod Nano. Um, it was it was the one that was a little bit taller, and I think it was one of the first iPods that had a camera, if I remember correctly, uh, and played video and everything. And it was, uh, it was. I remember because green is my favorite color. I think I got it for Christmas one year, and I was just so pumped to pull this little thing out of the package, to be able to carry it around so easily, slip it in my pocket. I listened to that thing all the time, everywhere. I used to... When I was that young, I was mowing. Um, and that's you know, a way that I made some money was via mowing. And so I remember listening to it while I was doing that. Uh, and it was just this gorgeous-looking design that that gave me sort of the impression of the apple that you know I enjoy. So, yeah, I don't know. It was it wasn't any it wasn't life-changing in any way, but 
just the look and feel of the thing in that beautiful green color, it makes me wish that Apple would come out with a beautiful green iPhone because I would hop on that so fast. But alas, uh, Jason, this will be interesting. What uh, what was the first Apple product you owned? I love this question because it, it reminded me of my first Apple product. And I have not thought about this in so long. So it was the Macintosh SE with a 20 megabyte uh, internal hard drive, not the two floppy version of the SE, but the uh, one floppy with a 20 megabyte hard drive, uh, nine inch black and white monochrome display at 512 by 342 resolution, which was hot when I got it. I got it, or at least it was hot for me. I bought it in 1990. I was in high school at the time, so that gives you an idea how old I am. Uh, I bought it used through the classifieds. I cannot recall how much money, but it could not have been very much because I did not have much money. So, uh, But I got it specifically for desktop publishing because at the time, I was really into uh, music. At the time, I was really into um, <clears throat> heavy metal and death metal and that sort of stuff. But I used an app called PageMaker to make a fanzine and distribute it around Boise called Twisted Realities. And I did three, um, three releases, three editions of it using that SE as kind of the driving force. And I really learned a bunch about desktop publishing and how to create a magazine and interview my favorite bands and, you know, put it, put together a layout. I did it all on my own. It was so much fun. I also loved playing games on it like Shuffle Puck Cafe, which was one of my absolute favorites. So, uh, like, I love it. I love thinking about that computer because I did so much with it and I felt so accomplished when I got it. All right. And here I thought I was going to be the old man on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my first Apple product was a Macintosh LC, uh, which is probably around that same time as Jason, uh, early nineties, uh, 1991, I think. And, uh, it was a flat pizza box Mac. Um, it was LC stood for low cost color because it was one of the first color Macs you could buy that was not super crazy expensive, but it was also not a very uh, powerful machine. I think it had two megabytes of RAM when we bought it and a 40 megabyte hard drive. Um, and I love that thing to death. I had pled with my parents for so long to get a Mac uh, because some of my friends had Macs and I'd fallen in love with them. It is responsible for so much of my career uh, that I it has a special place in my heart. There is a... Very vivid memories on your first Apple product and very old school compared to mine. Um, my first Apple product was a iPod Nano, um, the fourth generation. I got it in blue. Um, it was very, very popular when I traveled to university, which was like between 2007 and 2009. Everyone had iPods on the train. Like everyone was listening to music and I really wanted one. Um, I loved mine so much. I listened to so much music when I had one compared to now because my battery on my phone would go down so fast if I listened to music now. But, um, yeah, I, I really loved it so much. It was a very nostalgic time for me. All right, folks. Excellent. We have reached the end of another episode of Clockwise, but we've got just enough time for a bonus topic. Before we get there, I want to tell you about our pals at Text Expander from Smile. Give your productivity a boost with Text Expander. Turn the things you type often into snippets and use them everywhere you type. Companies use Text Expander for teams for customer support, reports, email, and frankly, anywhere else they need consistent and accurate text. If, like me, you're always looking for ways to be a little more productive, then you need Text Expander. It'll handle all your repetitive typing tasks, leaving more time for what you do best. 
I just got a new computer for work. And when I, you know, was getting everything set up, I was trying to use my text expander snippets and realized, all right, you got to install text expander before those work. I love and use text expander all day, every day for all sorts of things. You don't necessarily need to be in a job where you're sending emails constantly. Text expander can help you in so many ways and it's genuinely just a wonderful product. And if you like to like play around and, and see what you can build with it, that's an all, that's also a great reason to check it out. So visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Thanks so much to Text Expander and Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, folks, bonus topic. What is your favorite indoor activity? Jason, we'll start with you. Hmm. Well, I it's hard for me to pick one, so I'll pick two. Right now, at this very moment, it's actually just going to the gym. I have got a local gym. Uh, it's a, it's kind of like a community sort of uh, environment. So there's like 20, 25 people. Same people seem to show up every time I go. Uh, and I'm just really enjoying it. And that's indoors. So I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, going to the gym free- frequently at this point in my life. But very often in the past, it's music production. I, I produce music, uh, independent musician. So I have a studio at my house uh, kind of set up for that. And it's just it's a blast as a musician with the, with the whole studio set up to kind of get lost in an idea and spend hours working on a, a concept or a sound or whatever and really just lose track of time because you get so invested in it. Uh, that's super enjoyable and technology related as well, maybe more so than the gym. <laughs> uh, mine, not even well, not even really that much technology related. Uh, tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. I love D&D. It's one of my favorite things, and I love playing it in person with my friends. It, it melts all those great, like, uh, being social and uh, coming up with clever, creative ideas and, you know, a little bit of game mechanics thrown in there. It is by far my favorite way to spend several hours on a weekend. I love I love going on Twitter on my phone or on my Mac, preferably under a warm blanket in this weather. <laughs> uh mine is sleeping <laughs> thank you all for your answers on that bonus topic we are at the end all that's left is to thank our fantastic guests jason howell thank you so much for joining us this week yeah man this is a lot of fun thanks for inviting me on i would love to uh i i, I look forward to podcasting with you guys more yeah <laughs> and heidi helen uh Polipus, thank you so much for being here again thank you for having me and micah we can uh we can stop overheating in our <laughs> in our respective hot environments uh we will be back next week but until then we remind all of you out there watch what you say and keep watching the clock bye everybody <laughs>